0: Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Harshit Jain, a leading storyteller and creative data integrator in healthcare. As an accomplished speaker and globally awarded healthcare marketing influencer, Dr. Jain is now the founder and CEO at DocCare, which is trying to address the problem of rising cost of healthcare by bringing in efficiency and effectiveness in healthcare marketing by using data and creativity. Dr. Jain, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Winston, for inviting me to the show.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, so, Dr. Jane, for our audience, will you just let us know where, where does your story begin? What is your superhero origin story?
1: It's a it's a great question. I always think huh, and I come to a conclusion that the story is has like just begun. I hmm. always want to live in that stage where I'm continuously trying to change continuously trying to challenge but but for me uh, my uh, the last i practiced at a, as a physician was back in 2006 at northwestern wow. uh, from where i did my residency in internal medicine and and after that i just quit without knowing what will i do i just quit right and and all serendipity it kept on happening one after the other one wow. business after the other and so after building a business in in uh, healthcare and big data, then in healthcare communication, then a, a big global corporate job in advertising for seven years, and mm-hmm. then back to startup again to build another uh, venture called Docare.
0: Wow. Wow. So that is absolutely amazing. Uh, 2006 uh, being, you know, kind of... that
1: makes me feel I'm old now.
0: no no not at all so you know was your journey from physician to entrepreneur something that you had thought about by the time that you were a resident like did you have a plan to to start a lot of businesses or did this just all come about how did that come about
1: it just just happened so I did my med school from India and Mm -hmm. I think uh, at the time of med school I used to think practicing in US would be so advanced, right? And things like that. So I really worked hard to get into a great med school for my residency. Mm -hmm. I I was researching on white mice for several years during my med school, like then some published some interesting papers. So landed at Northwestern, one of the good Ivy League universities. And then after practicing there, I realized, and this may not be very inspirational to hear, (laughs) is like, as a doctor, I think we are kind of trained to think at a spinal level. Hmm. Everything is so protocol driven. Like if A happens, do B, if B and C happens, do D. Hmm. Right? So I thought if I continue to do more, my brain neurons will atrophy. So in order to kind of protect my neurons, I decided to do something else.
0: Wow. Excellent. Was that? an easy transition for you because I feel like the physician pathway um, and I would be, you know, really interested actually kind of what were the thoughts of your family, you know, at the time and your friends. Cause you know, like you said, it's very A to B, a very linear career pathway, becoming attending physician, have a big career, maybe do some research, publish some papers. So did you feel okay? Were you like, you know, mentally ready to make that transition out of medicine?
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a positive person. like, And I feel if things have to happen, like mm-hmm. it happens. Like right? you just have to go with the flow. I think mm. when, I, when I was taking the decision, my parents were happy, surprisingly. Okay. Right? Because I was talking about maybe I'll come back to India. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And being a, being a licensed healthcare professional, like in two countries, both in India and US, mm-hmm. the risk was very minimal. Right? So I asked them, that for one year let me try to do what I can in a year if it works out great otherwise I can always go back to medical practice mm,
0: I love that so I have to ask you know you are a disruptor you are an innovator um, and the U.S. healthcare system you know wasn't enough to you know keep you are there distinct differences between providing healthcare or focusing on healthcare in India versus the United States? And just how do you feel about that global perspective of healthcare because you've been able to have so much insights around the world?
1: A lot, a lot uh, different right, is what I, my my feeling was. I, I think in a setup like like in India, right, where there uh, are like so many patients, right, the public healthcare system. Is also challenged, right? Mm. You use a lot of your clinical acumen to make the diagnosis. Right? For example, if a patient with pain in abdomen comes in, you would take a history, do the examination, right? Make a diagnosis, make a provisional diagnosis, and give him stuff, right? And mm-hmm. more than 80% of the cases, more than 90% of the cases, actually, the patient would feel better. He would not require investigations. While if I'm practicing in U.S., a patient came with pain abdomen in ER, the first thing I will do maybe would be to order a CT abdomen. Right. <laughs> not using my clinical acumen. And that's where I'm saying not using my brain, thinking at a spinal level. And wow. in these days of AI, right? So that even a computer can do order a CT abdomen, read the read the report, and give you a provisional diagnosis before even a patient comes to you. right? Right. It's not going to happen. I know that. Right. So, not scared about technology, but I think it's about like where I personally felt I could contribute. Mm, I where gotcha. I felt uh, I would be happy going to work each day, mm-hmm. because I think since childhood I always liked solving problems. Okay. Right. And if it is the same, if I am not getting interesting problems, mm-hmm. it would be no fun to solve them.
0: Right understood
1: and that's what i feel i have been doing in last uh, over 20 years right in my my uh non-practicing professional life
0: yeah absolutely well you know it's so funny because i've had a chance to look at a lot of the work you. i think you've done a lot incredible work um and it's just amazing to see you still uh keep going at a very young age um i feel like uh so i would like to ask you know what have been some of the just not even maybe biggest challenges, but lessons learned um, over the last 10, 15 years, you know, that you've really been on this journey.
1: I think a few things that I have learned, which, which helps me, which I practice right almost every day that no problem in the world is a big problem. Mm. Wow. You just break a big problem into multiple small problems you have now solved the big problem
0: <laughs> that's right
1: <laughs> right because now you don't have to deal with a big problem you have to deal with the smaller problems which you are comfortable wow. with
0: wow that is very very just very powerful i think it's a very powerful statement particularly when you know in healthcare systems like the u.s and india you know where there are just challenges, you know, um, you know, regardless of the infrastructure, regardless of the payment structure. And at times, you know, if you have a viewpoint of like, oh my gosh, this is so impossible, or what are we going to do? You know, it could really prevent some of that innovation. So that mentality, no problem in the world is a big problem. That is a very powerful statement. Um. So with that being said, I want to ask you about one project that I was absolutely just impressed and blown away with um and it's a little bit older but it's regarding the immunity charm uh, i was just hoping if you know speaking of big problems that are not big problems i was hoping you could just tell us about you know kind of the story um the inspiration and your involvement behind that particular project
1: yeah no, the immunity charm has been one of my claim to fames in my <laughs> career and you'll be surprised like the inspiration came from my son who probably mm. was was a year old that time wow and uh, so i kind of uh, challenged myself so uh, me and my wife right we used to make our son wear this black thread mm-hmm. right which is more of a cultural tradition okay right? uh, which is considered to keep evil spirits away from the child right mm. so i challenged myself what am i believing in why why are we doing this right wow. then i started reading about it right and i found out that it's a cultural practice in whole of South Asia. Right? Mm. And it is known to protect the child from evil spirits.
0: Right. Wow.
1: It's a very, very strong cultural practice, even goes into a superstitious zone. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, that's interesting. Right? Could we use this insight or a cultural practice to solve a problem in healthcare right, where behaviors are so hard to change? Right, mm-hmm. we can use an interesting behavior to solve a big problem. Yeah. So came across immunization compliance. Immunization record keeping is a big mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. Right? in multiple countries. That's where we see infant mortality rates are so high. Mm-hmm. Right? And came up with this idea: Can we convert this bracelet into an immunization card? Right. Wow. Because mothers will never lose it. Right. right. So, will always have access when they are seeing the child. Mm-hmm. and all the problem yeah so hence the idea was born so every time the child gets vaccinated the healthcare professional will add a corresponding colored bead to the bracelet so this becomes like an immunization card and in a world where data is being saved on clouds mm-hmm. we are saving data on threads right
0: yeah and that so that's amazing um
1: thread these days is something else but yeah it was a, a thread
0: yeah no that is that is that is absolutely amazing. um it speaks to me it reminds me of a term uh but it's it doesn't speak to the actual you know awesomeness of that project. cultural competence, really taking culture um and really embedding that in such a simple way as well. It's a very innovative idea, but it's also very simple. And to your point, I think in more uh you know, unstable you know environments depending on you know what's going on in the global landscape and you know country per country it is a game changer and so i just want to thank you for that work because i've been able just to read about the impact and like you said that is something that you think is big it's very small but you're here solving and providing answers to infant mortality so that is just really
1: awesome a very exciting project and like there are so many like stories behind the scenes stories Mm like in order to happen because we decided to execute in, in a country which had highest infant mortality rate, Afghanistan. Wow. wow. Establishing contact with the government, convincing them to run this project, right? And and after we completed the pilot, we also ran a research across countries where this is not a cultural tradition to wear a black bracelet. Right. Mm-hmm. So we even found some countries in Africa who would be very keen to do this because it's not a cultural tradition there, mm-hmm. but it is it's fun to wear a bracelet. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. A
0: cool That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And uh I mean it, it, I I this is the follow-up question on immunity charm and then we'll move on. So reaching out and working and offering it as a service to the Afghanistan government must have been was that the first time you had did something like this big and this bold and just what was that process like?
1: In that country, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow wow that is uh, that, that, that that is that one is of my,
1: One of my colleagues uh, uh, at that time he actually even traveled to Afghanistan. Wow right? kabul for for the execution to meet with the folks right mm-hmm. and, and there is a mini blast that he says happened in front of the hotel when he was like inside the hotel. so wow a scary experience.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, again, thank you all just for your commitment. Um, because you know, I know the implications of this work, um, and I know that there are a lot of challenges that you probably are not at liberty <laughs> to discuss. Um, but it is it is absolutely incredible. So I, I do want to pivot, um, into you know this um part of the conversation that really is talking about marketing and healthcare. And, you know, you as a marketer, I think that is something that's more novel for me. You know, I'm on the health administration side, so I don't often think about the people who are behind the scenes trying to market products to physicians or to hospitals. Um, But what was the intentionality behind you kind of combining your experiencing with marketing and business, but then also trying to target the healthcare industry?
1: i think it all stemmed from that the cost of healthcare has been rising
0: mm. right
1: and and most of the and, and there are a lot of initiatives that are going on to control the cost of healthcare mm-hmm. but most of the initiatives were to make patient healthy right mm-hmm. if the patient is healthy he is spending less on healthcare and that's how we reduce the cost of healthcare right, right. but changing those behaviors is not not so easy Mm-hmm. Uh, there is so in my hypothesis was that one of the biggest contributors to the cost of healthcare is the mm-hmm. cost of drug mm. right As the cost of drug is only growing north year on year mm-hmm. right one of the biggest contributors to the cost of drug is the cost of marketing 25 mm, percent right? wow. of the overall cost
0: wow right? really
1: and marketing yes and marketing research r&d is only 18% marketing is 25% wow right and and the adoption of digital in pharma has been very limited mm. right while rest of the industry saw how digital brought in efficiencies and effectiveness in their marketing
2: right?
1: mm-hmm. i thought how could how could we help to introduce digital to bring in effectiveness and efficiencies in healthcare marketing, which mm-hmm. will eventually impact cost of drug and hence cost of healthcare.
0: Wow. That is a very, thank you for explaining that pathway. Um, and I think it's very interesting for you to kind of point out the fact that one fourth, <laughs> one fourth is, is
1: actually. Imagine spend- you, every third ad that you see on television is a drug ad. Right. Like why do you need to spend so much? Wow.
0: Right. Absolutely. Is it the same across countries? Like, do you observe this in other countries or is it specific to U.S.?
1: U.S. and New Zealand are only two countries where direct-to-consumer communication of pharmaceutical drugs is done. Hmm. In other countries, direct-to-consumer communication is not allowed. You can Hmm. only communicate to doctors.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on how that happens here and in New Zealand?
1: See, it's same, US and New Zealand, right? So every third TV commercial you see is a pharma ad, right? And and it is a lot of money spent on consumer ads, right? You see how consumer brands are built, how much they spend. And pharma is like top three spenders in US. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And definitely, uh, but it's controversial, patient education, physician education, right? I'm not against patient education, right? Right. There is so much access. Information, etc., which they have, they mm-hmm. have the right, and they should know. If they are better informed, they will get well better, right? Right. But just promoting the drug does not help as much, right? Just yeah. knowing what a drug does does not help them. That's a Absolutely. communication which is better for a healthcare professional. If I know the name of a of a a cancer drug, I cannot ask my doctor give me this drug unless a doctor feels appropriate if it right. is for the patient.
0: Absolutely. It's very, it's very interesting and timely. We're actually having this conversation because uh, I have a, one of my best friends. He lives with Crohn's disease. Um, he was misdiagnosed with ulcerative colitis for four years, however. And so there were some treatments that he had got that he did not need because he did not have ulcerative colitis. He had Crohn's. And so now he is a part of a program where a particular medication would cost $65,000 per year. Um, for him to afford, and he can get it for free. But the accessibility has been very challenging. And where he is in the country, while it's a very reputable health system, a lot of the physicians are actually not as familiar with the drug in the first place. And he, it's almost like he knows more about the drug as a consumer than, than the actual actual uh, of some of the providers that he sees. And I just, it's interesting because on one hand i feel like in the us brand awareness and building a brand is a big deal you know for companies they want you know us to really as consumers to trust them and believe in their product um and i would be interested in how you feel the pharmaceutical industry has responded to a solution like docair right have they do you see that they are willing to say ah okay dr jane we don't need to spend you know, a fourth of, you know, what we make on marketing, or do you feel like there is still this desire for them to still have direct-to-consumer advertising for their products?
1: Yeah. Oh, great question. See, we are only three years in the space yet, right? Okay. The response that we have got has been absolutely amazing. We have been growing three times year on year. Wow. in just 3 years we have built a team of almost 160 people now okay. spread across three countries right uh, us uk and india mm-hmm. with our network in 21 markets right i have lost a lot of hair and a lot of sleep in order to grow <laughs> that that aggressively so response mm-hmm. has been absolutely fantastic right but in order to challenge their existing spends and change right drastically change don't spend on consumer, move to HCP, I don't think it's going to happen anytime sooner. Right? Okay. I think it needs a lot of retrospective and prospective data mm-hmm. to assign those efficiencies. We do not have access to a lot of retrospective data because okay. no measurement was really done. What was mm-hmm. working, what was not. Right. Gotcha. Now we are moving to a world where we are attributing each dollar to an outcome.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And creating a baseline of what is working, what is not. But Absolutely. these questions were not asked in the pre-COVID era, mm-hmm. where all the traditional means, you to spend on traditional means, the only rationale for doing budgeting this year is to use my historical budget. Right.
0: Hmm. Wow. So, you know, I would love for you to kind of, because I'm thinking about some of, while we have early careers that listen to our show, because we are at WashU and PJC Healthcare, we also have leaders from, you know, certain uh, regional healthcare systems that also listen. So I would love for you to be able to just to, to explain kind of, you know, DocAir in terms of, you know, what do you actually do, you know, for the people that you all serve and kind of what is the functionality of, of DocAir, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah. See, I think to explain simply, right, we help in doing targeted messaging to healthcare professionals, right? Now that messaging could be used by multiple people, Mm -hmm. Right. The first business case that we are solving is the healthcare marketeers who want to reach out to healthcare professionals to communicate about their drug indications, researches, et cetera, right? That's the first use case which we began to solve on which like a couple of billion dollars are spent every year, Mm -hmm. right? Then we grew and now then we move to the second use case, which is about communication of Patient affordability programs. Mm. See, pharmaceutical companies have like so many programs, right, which through which they want to offer to patients, Mm -hmm. right? And most of the times it is marketed directly to patients, Mm -hmm. right? So we're trying to simplify to give it to a patient when the physician writes a script for that drug. Ah, gotcha. Make it simple, right? Go to the place where it starts, right? Mm-hmm. A physician writes a script. He should get a message that such and such program is, is available for the patient. He may benefit from it.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: So that when the patient goes to the pharmacy, he can then access that program. It should be as simple. Mm-hmm. That's the second used case we're working on. Again, on targeted messaging to physicians, right? The third used case, which we'll be going on to pretty soon, is the... Uh, uh, patient recruitment for clinical trials. Mm, right? okay. Again, a big, big challenge, right? Big area where a lot of money is spent. One of the biggest drivers of cost of healthcare. So this is wow. 18% contribution. Wow. Right. And, and if you look at how patient recruitment happens, it happens on retrospective data.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: The world of AI, when we always think ahead, when we can predict things, right? We should at least be able to do this in real time. So right. through our technology, we are able to communicate with the physician inside the EHR when the eligible patient is sitting in front of him for a clinical. Hmm. Wow. Like no big deal. Yeah. Such a simple usage of technology, and again solve such a big problem.
0: Wow, that is, um, it's absolutely amazing. And what I want to do for our audience right now is just break down kind of, you know, your approach, because you've been able to look at some of the biggest drivers in terms of cost, right? Uh, and been able to have this innovative mindset, okay, how do we actually, you know, approach these issues? And one of the key words that I wrote down while you were explaining just the three different initiatives or pillars that Docker, you know, has been doing or will do is integration, because you are honestly working also to make things much more integrated. Because, you know, in the US, I feel like oftentimes, you could correct me if I'm wrong, you know, physicians or providers will say, well, look, we only have so much time with our patients. You know, you kind of get doors in, doors out, 20 minutes, you get the diagnosis, you try to be as, you know, obviously as warm as you can be, but a lot of times the responsibilities of being informed about, you know, some sort of affordability program to your point or a clinical trial does not end up coming from the physician. It's uh, you know, another person within the healthcare system and it's all, it could be detached and you have a patient going from this place to this place. And so I can imagine the power in, you see an Epic chart, you know, somewhere and like as you said, right there, you get that information. Um, And I I would imagine that this would be something that physicians would really want as well uh, to better help their patients.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because for them, it's just one more click. That's it. Just one click with so, hmm. so much benefits.
0: And so, also thinking about just how you are making their job easier as well. And I want to, and this is a question that I'll ask you. It's, a, it's a, it's, Related but not kind of related. I had read an article recently that um in the US, the closure of private practices, so either older physicians retiring or younger physicians choosing not to go into private practice is actually impacting our patient outcomes um, in the US, of course, because it's just less, you know, physician availability for people. And I feel like when I meet residents and I meet fellows now. Some of them can be a little disillusioned and disappointed and frustrated with some of these challenges in terms of just how they can do their job, right? And for me, as an administrator, sometimes I'm looked at as a bad guy. (laughs) I try to be, you know, supportive because we all have our different aspects of the business. But how, in general, do you think we can make things easier on our providers, right? Um, particularly the next generation of providers, right? You know, uh, what are the ways that you feel like, you know, we really need to be supporting them? And that's a very big question. So, you know.
1: Yeah, no big ones. See, and I feel, uh, I think, I'll always say, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm. Right? So so this is a need which is emerging. And you see the pace at which technology, right, is progressing, mm. Right. The, the pace at which technology is progressing in other categories like mm-hmm. is very fast right. while in healthcare I feel the adoption has now accelerated Okay, right? maybe after COVID it mm-hmm. has accelerated now right? right? And, and because I think physicians like they spent their day in and day out to manage that pandemic but their usage of technology at that time Mm-hmm. Was it an all-time high?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether it was for patient interaction because they could not go and touch the patient. Yes. Right? Or it was to access latest research because things were changing at such a fast pace, mm-hmm. right? Or to write orders or anything. right. So technology is, is now changing. And I think all professionals are kind of up uh, uh, and very positive about the usage of technology and mm-hmm. what it can do to help in their professional lives, right? right? Although I think with open AI, AI brought in a challenge, would AI mm. now replace doctors, right? Mm. So that's not going to happen. Right? Right. You need the job of a, of a physician is not just to write a script, right? Mm-hmm. Is, to, is to treat a patient. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to treat a report. You have to treat a patient. <laughs> and sometimes just a physician-patient conversation helps a patient so much in getting better absolutely and a drug just acts as a placebo
0: yeah absolutely
1: i think it's the physician adopting the technology and believing in it Hmm. It, is helping in a big way
0: wow i
1: see this across across countries
0: wow i really appreciate you calling that out because you know i think that sometimes uh it can be seen as a cost, right, because there are, especially, you know, to your point after COVID, I think there was an acceleration of companies, technology base that, you know, uh, I get emails all the time, um, you know, hey, you know, we have this product, would love to get you on a call to talk to you about it. And, you know, at times... We are very, I won't say, well, no, I will be honest, we're stuck. You know, we can be very stuck in the way that our systems currently work. And so there can be resistance to the adaptation. But to your point, there are so many ways that we might not have even noticed that we actually were using technology um, since COVID. So it's about a a balanced approach, you know, I, I would assume. But you brought up, I think, also a good point, which is some of the threats of, you know, technology such as open AI. And so, you know, DocAir seems very new. Like, you know, there may not be a lot of other competitors in you all space. And so what are your projections just for this kind of business? Do you think we'll see more businesses like this on the market going forward? Uh, And just what does really the adaptation of AI mean for healthcare? Yeah.
1: See, the, the category is massive. Right, we don't have competition yet. Mm-hmm. Does not mean that we will not have competition. Right? Mm-hmm. Creative energy is spread, so I'm sure okay. competition could be brewing somewhere in some part of the world. Yeah, and, and competition. Competition is healthy. It helps you grow. It mm-hmm. helps the category uh, grow as well. Yeah. In, uh, otherwise, uh, we will feel saturated. Oh, we are so big. Why should we do anything? It right. will become mm-hmm. like a test. So That's we going continue to, to to innovate uh, and competition would always keep us on the on the tools
0: I gotcha and so have do you also pay it well, I would probably assume that there's not much regulation in the in this space right now, right in terms of
1: there know, is right? and okay. because of the regulation not much innovation has happened
0: hmm okay can we kind of That's talk okay. about that a little bit more?
1: I think I alluded earlier that I think except US and New Zealand, yes. direct to consumer communication of the uh, RX drugs is not permitted. Right? Yes, you did say that. Hmm. That is the reason why the usage of digital mm-hmm. has been limited because there were no targeted means to communicate your message to a physician only. Okay. The fear that a drug company had is that they, if, let's say, if they do uh, 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 a commercial ad of a drug in digital, it might be seen by patients, mm-hmm. which is not complying with the regulatory guidelines.
0: Mm. You know, it is interesting to hear you saying that. So, I, yes, you definitely said that earlier. And um, one of the things that I can't help but think about, particularly when it comes to the U.S., is our healthcare outcomes, however, and our dependency on on pharmaceuticals uh, from a patient standpoint, is it better in countries where you cannot uh, provide direct to consumer marketing? You know, are there less dependence on pharmaceuticals in those countries?
1: That's, a, that's an interesting question, right? I don't think it's about dependence, right? Okay. But you look at the cost of healthcare. Mm-hmm. So I travel to multiple countries, I have residents in, in two countries, right? And I see the cost of healthcare, cost of insurance, etc. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely impacting the cost of healthcare.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. And that has downstream effects for everything else, of course.
1: Right. Because the spends are so high, the cost has to be high. The right. spends are low, the cost will be low.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Understood. So it's really about it's so interesting i have i have a, my background is in public health so i'm you know a little bit more population outcome you know driven that's how i think but you have been able to just in this time kind of give me a different lens on how to approach the actual business of healthcare and still seeing the opportunities for health equity and improvement of patient care but strictly using that business lens so that is very powerful and i and i, and I want to thank you for that um, we are approaching time. I'm not going to have you here forever. So, uh, you know, as we wrap up, it's you know, been an excellent uh, you know conversation so far. I do have two questions for you. And the, the first one is um, just given all the work that you've done, because there's been a bunch of stuff we haven't talked about uh, during this conversation. What are some of the things that you are most proud of that you feel like, you know, when it's all done, you can look back and say, wow, that that really was awesome.
1: I think we spoke about immunity charm, right? Definitely mm-hmm. most favorite ones and claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Right. I think there are other ones, other projects. Uh, one is called Noon Assembly, hmm. right? And the blue dot. Again, I think the belief is the simplest ideas solve the biggest problems. Love that. I love that. Right? During my advertising days, used to say if you can't narrate your idea in a single line, it's not worth it.
0: Wow, very good advice. That's excellent.
1: Because um, narrate in a sim- single line. It's simple, right? And it works
0: absolutely. And that is aligned with the logic of there is no problem in the world that is a big problem. <laughs> I love that. Okay, and and my my final question is, uh, what is the advice that you would give to that? entrepreneur, but more specifically, that physician entrepreneur that is ready to make that jump, um, but may not feel as confident or as positive as a young Dr. Jane when he was on his journey? What would be your advice to
1: them? I think my only piece of advice has been, I think, uh, as medical professionals, we are trained to think vertically. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's a training which works because healthcare professionals have to work in the most Kind of adverse circumstances, odd hours. We have to use our reflex, right, to do certain things, but but think laterally as well. Right? Gotcha. It's a lateral thinking which helps, right? I'll give you an example. For example, let's say an engineer, right? Uh, when he goes for a B school, mm-hmm. right? It's also lateral thinking. Otherwise, he should do a master's in engineering and continue to fix machines and things like that, mm-hmm. right? But if a physician goes to a B school, it's considered, wow, he's making a, He's transitioning. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, right? so I believe, I think, med school or any graduate school is is, an, is a level of education which opens up anyone's mind. Yeah. Right? And your decision to progress should not be linear. Mm-hmm. like should be lateral what you actually want to do I know it's very very difficult to understand uh, but uh, but I think some people kind of get it the right? mm-hmm. difference between vertical thinking and lateral thinking mm-hmm. because ninety five percent of the people maybe more ninety eight percent of the people that you will see will be practicing vertical thinking and mm-hmm. doing what most of the other people are doing but mm-hmm. it's the two percent who would be going a little laterally to explore and see what they will enjoy the most.
0: Wow, that is very...
1: They are are not the most popular ones when they take (laughs) a decision, right? But some may become popular a little later.
0: Yes, you are. You are a prime example. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, Dr. Jane, this has been an excellent uh, conversation. Uh, Thank you so much for giving some of your time, your insights and your thoughts uh, to our platform. And I will just uh, kind of end on, you know, where are the places that you would want to direct our audience, you know, whether it's yourself or Doc Air, you know, where should people find out more about, you know, what you're doing?
1: Yeah, no, so, I think to know more about DoCare, the best place is to go to our website, Right, okay. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on my LinkedIn, right? I check all my messages, try to respond to as many as I can, but that's the best place to reach out to me.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Well, you all heard it. Well, Dr. Jane, thank you so much for your time once again.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Winston, for inviting me to the show. Of course.
0: Well, that's it for the episode, and we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. and Stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.